Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is Videocast 110, Podcast Episode 100 for the week ending November 26, 2021. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving and uh, walk up to quite a surprise this morning with the new variant uh, that everyone's worried about. We're going to talk a lot about that today, and um, Scott Gottlieb came on uh, around 12 o'clock as the market was closing and uh, really gave a lot of good data that will help get your head around uh, where this is and, and uh, why this might be a little overblown on a light holiday volume Friday. So uh, there may be some good news in it for you, so uh, hang tight. But first we're going to do uh, our media spots real quick. want to thank uh, Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett for having me on the Clayman Countdown Fox Business on Friday. We're going to go into that a little bit later in the article, so thanks for having me on. Uh, also want to thank Devik Jane and Amber Warwick for including me in their article on Reuters uh, earlier in the week. And uh, moving right along, our quote of the day is going to be from Warren Buffett. After a big down day, the Dow was down at over 1,000 points at one point. Uh, and he said, look at market fluctuations as your friend rather than your enemy. Profit from folly rather than participate in it. So we're, we're going to talk about some of the things that we did and, uh, and how we're thinking about what happened today and moving forward. So uh, to start, though, let's do the Ask Me Anything questions for the week. Uh, the first one comes from Sumit Kapoor. Uh, Hi, Tom. Wanted to share this article with you. It's an article from Nikkei.com. Do you still think this new wave of regulation is done in China? If so, kindly share any evidence to the contrary. Uh, thank you for all you do for us. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Best to meet. Uh, so the article was, um, was basically saying that there was a former government official who was mayor of some province who is no longer in power, uh, gave a speech um, about over a month ago saying that um, the government should tax companies that have data 20 to 30% uh, moving forward. And so, you know, on the one hand, it got headline. It wasn't widely covered. It, it didn't get picked up by Bloomberg. It didn't get picked up by CNBC because this guy's not in power, doesn't, doesn't have power. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, can, can we be for certain for anything as it relates to China? No. I mean, it's been a capricious uh, environment for sure. But we have also seen these type of environments multiple times in the past decade and we're going to get into that this this year so um you know at this point <laughs> that type of tax is pretty much priced in i mean this you know the stock is down from 319 dollars uh you know to now the mid 130s so you know a lot of the worst case scenarios that uh, haven't been announced are probably priced in at this point with the with the extremity of, of the situation uh, and uh, but but we're also going to talk about Jack Denton put out a couple of great articles on Barron's this week uh, how he thinks that uh, now's the time to to, uh, to get involved because uh, the the vast majority of the regulations in the rearview mirror and we're going to go into detail on a Goldman Sachs note that says as much and the Goldman Sachs note what's what's valuable about that is it's from the Asia uh, it's, it's from their China team so it's not a bunch of guys in New York guessing about what's happening in China it's the on-the-ground Goldman Sachs guys uh, over over in the region so um, so that's that um, yeah I think we're you know I, I, our base case is that we're towards the tail end and that uh, any further announcements like we had Earlier this week, they fined Alibaba like $78,000. So it's like they got the $2.8 billion months ago, and now it's just kind of like the tail end. And what the point that the Goldman Notes makes is that we're moving from the period of announcements where you're getting that constant headline uh, beating the drum every day is bad news to now implementation, and then they can manage around it and start to 
guide. And, and ultimately, uh, as I'd said uh, several times in the past, these regulations are going to create a moat for the bigger players. So the bigger are going to get bigger, the smaller are going to go out of business, and, um, and that's ultimately going to unlock value for us uh, in the stock. So next is Paul Smith. Uh, Hi, Tom. Apologies in advance for the lengthy question. Uh, I rewatched the University of Bristol's Women in Finance Society and note that you said that your worst trade timestamp 1854 was on natural gas producer range resources. You started putting it on at $11 when it was down from $90. It shot up to $18 and then over the next 15 months it collapsed to a new low at 161 and rather than puking out of the position you bought down just like you did with Wells Fargo bringing your basis down to 451 and today it's around $21. We seem to be seeing a similar thing happening with Baba uh, down from 300 shot up well down from 200 is when we first, you know we we started putting the uh, Baba out uh, between 200 and 220 in that range so it's down from there is it it's the stock is down from 319 it wasn't even on our radar uh, until the low 200s when it was down about a third um, and shot up through through with further though with further declines although it is yet to rip up if the perceived risk such as the CCP regulatory crackdowns were to persist for a couple of years and the underlying fundamentals of the business were to remain the same then would this represent further opportunity for an investor to bring down their basis or would there be better uses of capital instead of waiting for Alibaba to move towards intrinsic value? Many thanks, Paul Smith. Uh, Paul, we are, uh, we've been buying down. We put on a huge chunk this week. In some accounts, their stock basis is $148.37, uh, despite the fact that we started uh, over 200. So uh, we've been aggressive at these levels. Um, the options where is where we've gotten hit. We did have an opportunity to roll those out. So we have some time. They may actually prove to be worth something, but we have a lot of stock uh, that we've bought down and we're, we're very comfortable uh, at these levels. So, um, you know, there's always better uses. For me, this thing just has a moat. I mean, 1.24 billion people, a uh, lot of optionality internationally. The cloud is growing tremendously. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I just love stocks that, um, that are, that are high quality companies that are dramatically out of favor due to exogenous events. And sometimes they overshoot, like you pointed out with range, but by the way, the range story, which is interesting, uh, I still own it. And, uh, that thing is probably going to work its way back to $50 over the next, uh, three or four years with natural gas. So. Uh, that's going to wind up being uh, a 10 bagger. What, what, what was the worst trade will wind up being a best trade. And if you think about a 10 bagger over five years, uh, that's, that's pretty damn good if, if you look at the IRR. So um, uh, I, I expect a similar situation. And, and the other way to get, get your mind around it a little bit is like, what if you thought a, a stock had a long-term intrinsic value of $40 per share, okay? And you started buying it at $20 per share, and it went to $14 per share, and then it went to $13.50 per share. Would you be as spooked by the company if you were dealing in those numbers? So, so just again, to, if you believe the company has long-term intrinsic value north of $400 per share, uh, I'm sorry, $40 per share, you start buying at $20 per share, it goes against you to $14 or 1350 dollars uh, before recovering and turning around. Would you deal with that differently than, um, you know, a, a stock that's you think is worth $400, you know, you start buying around $200, and then it, it dropped down to, uh, 140, 135. And the, the point that I'm making is sometimes it's just perception. It's like, wow, it's dropped, you know, 200 points or whatever. But when you take the zero off, it's the same percentages. Um, and if you put that in context, um, buying a franchise like this at this discount and at this timing, which we're going to cover in, in great detail, why we think the next 12 months is where we're going to get a tremendous bounce. 
Um, I think it's probably the best use. It, it's it's now our largest position. Um, we uh, so so we do think it's the highest and best use over the next twelve months. Um, and what you find what, what we find is that when they overshoot this dramatically on the downside, uh, when they reverse, they tend to do so pretty aggressively. And I, I don't know what the catalyst will be, but you know there is a investor day meeting on December 16th and 17th where they're going to give more color probably talk a bit more about the buyback uh, they'll probably there was an article in the Wall Street Journal be talking about the possibility of spinning off certain segments which can which can unlock value as well uh, so so there's a lot of optionality and moving into the 20th Congress uh, November of 2022 the Historic precedent has been that the Chinese equities uh, tend to do very well, uh, up on average 30% uh, over the 12 months leading into the uh, China National Congress, which happens every five years. So, um, so we like those odds. We like the setup, and um, it, it 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 is somewhat reminiscent of. Uh, range, but range, range is going to be a 10-bagger. I, I don't think this is going to be a 10-bagger uh, on, on the stock, but uh, I, I do think that uh, it can certainly be a double and it can be a lot more than that over time. Uh, and um, and that's, that's why we've spent a lot of time on it. And that's why we've continued to lean in and found capital. You know, we've trim, trimmed some other winners to, to continue to fund this uh, to set us up for for the next 12 months, which should be uh, an exceptional period for Chinese stocks, and, and we'll cover that in a, a little detail. Okay, uh, Ben is back. <laughs> if you remember, Ben had asked uh, for quite some time about uh, banks and financials uh, when they were up quite a bit, and I said, I, I, w- I wouldn't pick up a nickel in front of a steamroller, so now we've gotten the correction uh, on the energy stocks and on the financials today. Uh, and so he says, do you think... Uh, hi, Tom. Podcast question, please. Number one, do you think the pullbacks in DFEN and XLF are over? DFEN is below the 200-day moving average. Is that a very bad sign? Uh, so, um, okay. So, DFEN is basically uh, a triple-leveraged um, triple leverage ETF for uh, defense and aerospace stocks. The, the standard ticker would be ITA to give you a better view. And this looks overdone. And, you know, the, the key reason that this is overdone is because of Boeing. And we're going to spend, Bo- we did a lot with Boeing today. Uh, and we're going to spend some time talking about Boeing uh, right now. Um, so if you believe Boeing is going to work over the next, three to six months, uh, and we, we do staunchly believe that, and we think that it could catalyze before the end of the year, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we have no control over that, but that's what Boeing's management said. We think the catalyst is the recertification of the 737 MAX in China. Um, and by the way, today's November 26th, so if you remember earlier this month, I was talking about, there was the Reuters article saying that the Chinese government um, had basically... Uh, was moving ahead on the recertification, but they were going to, not moving ahead, but they were going to send their findings to industry, and industry had until November 26th to comment. So there's been radio silence. So today is November 26th. Uh, It basically seems like that if there's nothing alarming by the 26th, hopefully in coming weeks, we should see a full recertification like we recently saw in South Korea uh, and, uh, and in India. So, um, so that would have an enormous impact on DFEN. As far as uh, 200-day moving averages and all that stuff, that, that's not my game. Um, I think you want to own this for the long term. And as a matter of fact, if you look at next year's earnings... Uh, industrials, which this is a subsector of, is going to have the largest earnings growth in 2022, 36.2% relative to the S&P 500, just under uh, 9%. So I want to have exposure there, and uh, particularly Boeing is a huge weight in that. So you could play Boeing or you could play DFEN. 
As far as financials, I think financials are fine. Uh, this move in the 10-year yield today, flattening of the curve, is not good for banks in the short term. So uh, we do need to see that rectify itself. And I believe we are going to see that in the next one or two sessions. And I'll show you why in just a moment. Um, so to answer your question, um, DFEN, I would, I would basically look at Boeing as the proxy on that. And I think the pain in Boeing is mostly done. And, and I think when Boeing reverses, this uh, DFEN is going to fly. So I, I wouldn't be worried about that. As far as financials, we haven't sold a share of our Wells Fargo. Uh, we're, we're very comfortable with it um, for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, they could still in coming months see the removal of their uh, asset cap, which would be a catalyst for kind of the next leg higher. And at which time we'd probably start to shave the position. Uh, but we do want to own these uh, banks, particularly this one, uh, for the next few years, uh, provided that this short-term flattening of, of the curve is temporary. If it's not temporary, uh, then the market will give us plenty of notice to get out. Uh, usually, financials rally for another three to six to even 18 months in some extreme cases after the yield curve inverts. Uh, so it gives you plenty of time to get out uh, and, and run to the hills. We're nowhere near inversion, but we have flattened quite a bit. And that's why banks have been under pressure and today didn't help. Uh, but I do think you're going to see that uh, today is uh, more of an anomaly than the beginning of something um, more serious. Okay, number two, other than China, Alibaba, what stocks or ETFs do you like here? Um, Boeing, we increased our Boeing position by 33% today. So uh, Boeing got down to 195 at the lowest. Um, we have um, uh, option exposure, which is about 2 to 3% of equity value, depending on the account. But notionally, and they're, close, they're not far from the money, uh, and they have a decent amount of time on them. So notionally, they'll, they'll represent 40% of portfolio value uh, if this event is catalyzed. So a very small amount of equity, 2-3%, can wind up generating 10-20 points on the portfolio uh, in coming months as this is catalyzed. So, so Boeing is where we really leaned in today. Uh, in these type of things where... You know, like Buffett says, look at market fluctuations as your friend rather than your enemy, profit from folly rather than participating. Look, we've been through a few variants already. Now, this one is a little scary because uh, it seems to be spreading fast, but you have to keep in mind the vaccination rate in South Africa is 24%. So you have to expect. Um, Situations like this are, are going to be more pronounced in that type of environment, number one. Number two, Dr. Scott Gottlieb came on the TV and he said that he believes the Pfizer vaccine will be 70% effective against even this new variant if it does spread. But he also made the case, which was just the opposite of what was coming across all the headlines all day long, which caused the algos to kick in and take the Dow down a thousand points at the worst. Um, he said that many mutations, that's what people are concerned about with this Omnicom or whatever it's called, um, variant. What Dr. Gottlieb said was many mutations could mean that it's actually less contagious and less transmissible. And the headlines all morning uh, prior to Dr. Gottlieb coming on, which is where the bottom, which is where the market bottomed and started to recover a little bit into the close at one o'clock. Um, all the headlines were saying this is highly transmissible and we're wor very worried and uh, mutation of concern and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Gottlieb's point that many mutations could mean less contagious uh, and less transmissible. We'll know as the data comes out in coming days and weeks. Uh, but he had a completely different view than what was consensus all, all morning long when people were panicking out of their stocks. Um, so he also said that the Pfizer vaccine should be 70%. 
And he also believes strongly that the Pfizer COVID pill will work against it. And I think the Pfizer COVID pill, what everyone forgot when it was first announced a few weeks ago and Gottlieb came out and said, I think this is the end of the pandemic. Um, now we just have to get the pill out, get it approved, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's 89% effective. And today, just to give you an idea, today uh, Merck and Ridgeback pill was the first COVID pill that came out. Uh, they thought that one was 50% effective. Now today it turns out that it looks like it's 30% effective. So that one's no good. I mean, I, I mean, I don't look, it's great. Um, it's better than nothing, but it's less, it's not as good as originally advertised. The Pfizer pill, the Paxlovid, um, let's see, this is from the New Yorker, uh, Pfizer was also staggeringly effective at preventing the progression of COVID-19 in high-risk patients. The drug, when taken within three days of the onset of symptoms, reduced the risk of hospitalization by nearly 90%. Only three of the nearly 400 people who took Paxlovid were hospitalized and no one died. In the placebo group, there were 27 hospitalizations and seven deaths. Paxlovid is administered along with another antiviral medication called ritonavir, which slows the rate at which the former drug is broken down by the body. Um, like Merck, Pfizer is now examining whether Paxlovid can also be used to prevent infections after an exposure. Res results are expected in early 2022. So uh, if you recall, uh, when I was on Fox Business on Friday, and everyone was worried about the Austria lockdown and the possible Germany lockdown. I said, you know, that's, that's the bad news and took everyone by surprise. The good news is the COVID pills are coming. And uh, the U.S. actually purchased 10 million doses of the Paxlovid, the, the uh, Pfizer drug, uh, last week for $5.29 So, uh, my, you know, my guess is they know the approval is coming and it's probably coming in short order and they're going to get these 10 million doses out. So, um, you know, get, getting that ramped up, I think, is going to go a long way to ending this, at least domestically and then internationally. We're going to have to get uh, the, the vaccination rates a lot higher. Uh, but this is a positive thing that I think everyone lost sight of today uh, after hearing the news in, in South Africa. But keep in mind, South Africa has a 24 percent vaccination rate. It's a different game. Number one. Number two, uh, we have a much higher vaccination rate. And we also have a lot of people who have uh, already had COVID and have some level of immunity on top of it. So um, we'll know more in coming days. But um, looking at the way the market acted structurally today, this is the VIX. Um, it leads me to believe that we may be closer to the end of the pain than the beginning of pain. Uh, and you can see these recent spikes. And, and where I want to focus on is these spikes that... Um, exceeded the 70 RSI and what happened to the stock market afterward. Because we've had a few, you know, we had the Delta scare in September. Uh, now we're having this Omnicom scare in uh, November. But let's take a look at, so the VIX spiked to 27.41. Um, and we'll see if this is the bottom today, or usually we could get some more selling on Monday if people are panicked over the weekend and then to, you usually get turnaround Tuesday, but we'll see. This is a pretty extreme move today. You, you may see some buyers step in, particularly if we get good news over the weekend, but we'll see how that turns out. Here's another instance. This wasn't the exact bottom, but it was near the bottom before we recovered. Um, here's another one, uh, RSI over 70. The VIX spiked to this level again, 28, and that was the exact bottom right there. And then the market rallied thereafter. Um, another spike above 70 with the VIX, and that was the bottom again. So when you get these extreme spikes very quickly, um, these are closer, if not right at the bottom versus uh, the beginning of something more sinister. Uh, I'd be a little more worried if the VIX was subdued and still, you know, around 20 today with, with the Dow down 1,000 points. Uh, that would have been worrisome. But it, it looks like a lot of stop loss orders were taken out. A lot of retail was taken out to the woodshed. And um, 
we'll see when this starts to turn, if not on Monday, on Tuesday. But using this opportunity like the Boeings, uh, like some of those, was, was a great opportunity today in the midst of the panic. Um, okay, so this is what happened to the 10-year yield down to 149. Uh, we'll see if that starts to reverse. That, that's, uh, these are the two things I would be watching on Monday, see how 10-year yield is looking and see if this VIX starts to back off a little bit. Uh, oil rolled over uh, on the fear that travel would stop. They, uh, the U.S. has put some restrictions on South Africans or Southern Africans, as they said, I guess multiple countries traveling to the U.S. now. U.K. did it earlier in the day, and then people extrapolate that to the whole world is going to be locked down, uh, which, is, which is not true. This is the a very similar move that we saw in WTI crude, uh, for the September Delta variant, a similar size move. So we'll see if we get a similar type of uh, bottoming and retracement after we you know, get more information and, and hopefully some better news on this Omnicom variant of concern. But um, that's where that is. Um, okay, so a couple things on China before we get into the article of the week. Um, while everyone's running from China, the world's largest hedge fund, Ray Dalio, just raised a $1.25 billion fund uh, specifically for China investment only. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that kind of tells you the, st the story right there. Um, okay, so this is the Denton article. Okay, uh, Alibaba stock and others fall. After new Chinese scrutiny, why the worst may be over. This is earlier this week from Jack Denton. Um, okay, China State Administration for Market Regulation said Saturday that it had fined the three companies, Tencent, Baidu, and Alibaba, um, for breaching antitrust law by failing to declare deals as far back as 2012. The competition regulator imposed a fine of 78,000 for each of the 43 cases listed on its investigation. So again, these kind of seem like after, after uh, effects, kind of aftershocks. You know, the big one was the 2.8 billion, and now that this is just kind of um, fanning out and, uh, and dying down. In other words, the pain is getting less and less, not more and more, and usually uh, the stocks will start to rebound even while you're still getting some bad news, and that's the sign of, of the final turn. Um, da, 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 da. Okay. All right. Fears around the future of Chinese tech have also been wider in scope than just regulatory pressures. E-commerce giant Alibaba recently reported slow, slowing quarterly growth, um, but the worst may be over. While individual stocks may require a specific catalyst as a Chinese, as a sector, Chinese tech may now be past the worst in our view, said a team led by Mark Heifel at UBS, Glo Glo UBS Global Wealth Management Chief Investment Officer. The group at the Swiss bank said that it looks like the market is pricing in a lot of negatives and there may be an overcorrection at hand. While noting that new policy measures could impact earnings, the analysts still expect profits to grow around 15% to 20% over the next two to three years. The group at UBS expects the market to gradually position for a projected earnings rebound in the second half of next year and forecast mid-teen upside uh, for the China MSCI China Index. Uh, let's see. Uh, the group at UBS also predicts that volatility from regulation is likely at an end, saying that the current round of regulatory tightening has outlasted prior episodes. There has been little in the way of unexpected major measures this quarter, and the policy focus appears to have moved on to implementation. We think valuations have overcorrected and the sector is close to an inflection point. So that's that. Um, Here's another article from Jack Denton uh, just uh, the day before Thanksgiving. Alibaba stock gets more price target cuts, but there are reasons to be bullish. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, Chiang at Deutsche Bank, he's an analyst, noted that the fall in revenue growth was largely due to a fall in domestic sales, but that other parts of its business, such as local services and international commerce, are still solid. We've been em emphasizing that as well as the cloud. 
Uh, Chiang also brushed aside some of the concerns around profit margins, describing how it comes as the company continued investments in new initiatives for long-term and sustainable growth. While we are uh, cautious on weak consumption sentiment in the near term, we remain confident on the ample potential from its new business to support long-term growth. Uh, like Chiang at Deutsche Bank, you blamed poor macro conditions for a slowdown in Alibaba's revenue growth, pointing to the COVID-19 pandemic, China's energy shortage, regulatory crackdowns, and weakening consumer spending. And he's bullish on the investment in the business, even as spending weighs on profit margins. We believe that Alibaba's well-established ecosystem and strategic position in the e-commerce value chain are competitive barriers to new market entrants. Uh, the analyst also believes the company will be able to grow its user base in smaller cities through new e-commerce platforms that focus on value for money products and that one such platform, Taobao Live, should drive revenue growth. We think AliCloud, which is, which is what I've uh, been talking about, will maintain its dominance in the public cloud market in China. Uh, you added Alibaba's cloud computing division grew by one third, 33% year over year in the latest quarter and notching 3.1 billion in revenue about 5% ahead of expectations. Additional market share gains could come from food delivery and offline retail, which represent a large under-penetrated total addressable market. And um, investing in China remains a tricky pop proposition, though some experts believe the worst is over for the countries in battle tech, tech sector. Um, do, 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 do. Okay, so that's, that's uh, Jack Denton's article quoting some of those analysts. Now we're on to our article of the week. Uh, which is the crosswind stock market and sentiment results. Uh, so we spent the, yesterday in the city uh, watching the parade from, from our apartment there on Bryant Park. Uh, that, that was the view. And looking at the floats, it kind of reminded me of the different crosswinds that we've been seeing of late. Um, first and foremost was when Chair Powell announced the taper on November 3rd, the market initially responded as, as one would have expected with a day delay. On November 4th, we saw the 10-year yield rise and the reopening trade reassert itself, uh, but then it shortly stopped thereafter. So, so why didn't it follow through? There are two key factors uh, why we believe it didn't follow through. First off, there was a new wave of COVID and Delta starting to reemerge, particularly in Europe. You had the uh, Austrian crackdown and German concerns, uh, and um, et cetera. So if this cascades into more country shutdowns, the idea is that managers will have to bid up those few tech stocks that will still be able to grow in a slower growth economic environment or God forbid shutdowns. They're not gonna happen in the US, that's for sure, but that's what the market is, the initial knee jerk, just like we saw with the Delta variant in September. Uh, this is not our base case, but it was the market's initial uh, knee jerk reaction. And second, a rising view that Lael Brainerd was in contention to become Fed chair. This ultimately did not come to pass, which is why yields ticked up following uh, Powell reappointment on Monday. Um, you saw the 10-year yield shoot up. And then today with the Omnicom variant uh, roll back over. But um, so it's, it's been a push-pull. And it's, all of this is exacerbated with light holiday volume. Uh, so we'll see how things look uh, as we move into next week. Um, on the Fox Business segment, you can watch that there. We kind of covered this earlier. We, we were talking about the pill. I think the Pfizer pill is going to be the game changer. The quicker we can get that approved and out, I think that's going to give people a lot of confidence. And it seems to work on all these variants, according to Dr. Gottlieb. And he's been a very solid source of information since the beginning, much more so than the other public figures who are out re regularly speaking. Got Gottlieb, you've been able to bank on what he says. So uh, that's very promising. And, and he believed when uh, the pill was announced uh, that this was kind of the end of, of the pandemic. So we'll just see how quickly they can get it approved and, and out to the public. And that'll be a very good thing. Um, the other points we emphasized in the segment was that the consumer and economy are still looking solid. Retail sales were up 16% year on year, 1.7% month on month. The unemployment rate is down to 4.6%. Uh, earnings grew 40% as we had anticipated. If you remember at the beginning of earnings season, the expected growth was 27.5. We said we could see a four handle. We did. Um, it'll probably settle around 41, 42 uh, after we get the new data next week. And, um, 
and earnings are projected to grow around 9% for next year. So it's reasonable to expect mid-single digit to low double digit returns with a hell of a lot more volatility than we saw in 2021. Um, so, you know, while Austria is on lockdown and Germany's considering it, Americans are traveling like it's 2019. You look at this, these, uh, the data from the 24th was the day before Thanksgiving, 2.3 million versus 2019, 2.6 million versus last year was only 1 million. Uh, the day before on Tuesday, 2.2 million versus 2.4 million in 2019. Uh, the day before Monday was 2.08 million versus 2.2 million. So you're, you know, uh, Sunday 2.2 million versus 2.3 million in 2019. So we're, we're getting right, right up to, uh, pre pandemic levels, which is very, very promising to see. Uh, and, and that's that. Uh, earnings estimates for 2022, we had expected to move towards 230. They're slowly climbing up. They're now just a hair under 222. We'll see if these go up any more in coming weeks before the end of the year. Uh, that will be very important. And then now we have to look at um, the Fed. So in the minutes, uh, the Fed minutes that came out on Wednesday, uh, basically we saw an internal debate that they can't taper fast enough. So they wanted to accelerate the pace of taper. I think now with this variant, uh, they'll probably be less eager to do that. I think uh, uh, the, the possibility of rate rises uh, as quick as June, which a lot of people are calling for now, probably get pushed out. Uh, if this variant tends to have legs, we'll, we'll know more again in coming days and weeks. But, um, but that could change the dynamic. So uh, in a note from Barron's, the, quote, the minutes reiterate officials' view that rising prices are connected to reopening bottlenecks and thus are temporary. However, the minutes also suggest officials have become less sure in their assessment that inflation is transitory. So in coming weeks, will face the key test. Does the 10-year yield peak uh, as of the start of taper as it did in 2013, which is what we've been debating on this uh, podcast for several weeks? Um, this is when taper started in 2000 and the end of 2013, and that was the peak of yields for five, five plus years. Um, but look how low we are here. I mean, it's possible. I mean, today we shot down in 114. The, the problem is, uh, or, or does it push higher to 2 to 2.5% two before peaking for the cycle? And this is the key. The most important thing we're watching, um, because the yield curve is currently flattening. So this is the ratio of the two-year yield to the 10-year yield. And in previous cycles, after it re-steepened, you did see these checkbacks particularly in 2011 and 2013, big flattenings. But this is pretty pretty dramatic. So unless this 10-year yield starts climbing up pretty soon, um, if the 10-year yield does not move up to a more natural level, steepening the curve and allowing banks to extend credit and make money, this could be a very short cycle. That's the bad news. The good news is that we'll have plenty of notice if that's the case. So if you look here, this inversion happened, first inversion happened in 2006. The stock market or financials in this case didn't, the green line here is the XLF, didn't peak until about a year, year and a half later before crashing. Uh, so that gave you plenty of time to get out. Um, in the case of last year, it uh, inverted in August, and you basically had until um, January to get out. So you, you had, you know, you have three, about three months to a year to get out after uh, the, the yield curve inverts. I don't think this is going to go straight down. It's it's possible, but not probable. My guess is this is just an overshoot in the short term, and yields will move back up and start to approach 2% and beyond. 
but uh, we have to be prepared for that and we'll have ample notice. So our base case is that this recent flattening will be short-lived. We would anticipate the 10-year yield pushing through its recent high of 170 basis points and re-steepening the curve for another year or two before flattening once again. If we're wrong, we'll look to move to safety within months after an inversion. The market has a tendency to peak 6 to 18 months following a 210 inversion. Two-year uh, treasury yield exceeds the 10-year treasury yield. The good news is we don't have to predict it as the market gives you plenty of notice and time to run for the hills even after an inversion. So now we're going to move on to uh, the most important part of this week is the Goldman Sachs note. Um, and uh, I entitled this section, A Bull in a China Shop. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a delicate situation, but uh, we're, we're getting closer to, to a point where you want to be bullish. So... Um, the last couple of months have been a slog for owners of Chinese equities, but we think the timing is about to change. Goldman Sachs recently put out a note that reiterated many of the points I've covered in our recent podcasts and videocasts. I'm going to cover just um, the key points here, but we'll spend much more time on this on the podcast, which we're, which we're doing now. Uh, the table above gives a visual for what we've been talking about over many weeks. The, these crackdowns happen every three to four years and how they define it. Um, is they call it the despair phase. So you go from um, despair to hope to growth to optimism to despair to hope to growth to optimism uh, and then back to despair. So, um, you know, back when Alibaba was at $319 uh, November last year, that was the growth period and the optimism period and then we've been for the last year in despair and the, their base case is that we're now going to move back into hope and the most important part of the hope part is that in the hope period the fundamentals actually get worse but the stocks get re-rated so because they're looking forward at at what's coming down the pike and during the period of maximum despair, those multiples have moved to the lower end of their you know, last five-year range. So even if the fundamentals get worse and the margins get worse in the short term, the multiple expands and then the pricing starts to reflect uh, a year out, two years out, and that's where you get the big multiple expansion. And that's why they're anticipating uh, uh, you know, big returns over the next 12 months. Compounded by this year, we have the um, 20th National Party Congress, which meets in November of 2022. And as you can see in the table below, MSCI China, which is uh, just basically the general index, uh, has tended to perform well on PE expansion, generating roughly 30% 12-month return on average ahead of that event. Uh, and this table here shows uh, from negative 12 T minus 12 to the event itself um, they basically juice the market is, is what, what he's saying so Chinese policymakers may now accept slower growth in the near term for a more resilient economy in the long run relative to previous cycles but it still seems likely to Goldman that the policy will be loosened marginally to better fend off systemic risks and to avoid sharp deceleration before the transition takes place, before the 20th National Party Congress, uh, 12, exactly 12 months from now. So uh, this is when the market starts to ramp up, the 12 months beforehand, um, and, uh, and we think the table is set for this to be a repeat uh, once again. So that's that. Goldman is, uh, what, what's interesting about their note, as optimism is, as optimistic as they are on price, they're pessimistic on earnings growth. So they're anticipating earnings are only going to grow 7% uh, next year versus consensus is at 14%. They also see Chinese GDP coming in below 5% due to the property slowdown and deleveraging, uh, lowest on record outside, the outside of crisis years. Where they get their optimism is from re-rating and PE expansion. Chinese stocks are now trading at the bottom end of their five-year average at 12.7 times earnings, a 30 to 40% discount to global equities. Another key factor leading to Goldman's optimism is their, quote, 
regulation timing model, which shows the worst maybe in the rear view mirror. So they show here that it's uh, you know peaked over the summer and now it's rolling over. And then um, couple that with um, the 12 month returns, uh, the 30% the, uh, 12 month returns prior to, uh, to the Congress that on average the returns 12 in the 12 months before the uh, National Party Congress are 30%. That figure is also supported by their data on uh, post-market trough returns, which average 31% 12 months out. So after you've had one of these huge despair period, their average 12 month returns following that period is 31%. So um, what this, so while these are index returns they're discussing, the implication is that some stocks will rebound 30 to 50% and even 100% plus over the same period. You get a 30% move in the general indices, you're going to have some stocks up triple digits. Um, remember, opinion follows trend. Right now, opinion could not be more bearish or despondent. People are being scared out of their holdings left and right. We have been rolling out our options and buying more stock. Uh, Goldman is specifically overweight China internet, citing the uh, trading at uh, 25 times forward PE and 0.8 times forward uh, peg ratio, price to earnings growth, uh, close to the trough levels in their respective five-year ranges. The removal of left tail regulation risk from its discounted cash flow model based valuation uh, should drive meaningful re-rating for the sector. The derating of Chinese stocks stands in sharp contrast to the still elevated valuations for U.S. and global equities, with MSCI China being priced at a 28% discount to MSCI All World Index and a 42% valuation discount to the S&P 500, and China Tech, particularly internet, trading at 18% cheaper than the U.S. That's the widest gap in two years. So the summary of the report is that Chinese stocks will have a better year in 2022 as the market recovers from a major correction and transitions into a, quote, hope phase uh, where PE expansion typically trumps weak fundamental growth and drives strong equity gains. The, the belief that valuations should recovery, recover is predicated on four points. So first, China's need to ease policy somewhat to rein in systemic risks, making it an outlier globally when most countries in the world will be withdrawing stimulus, China will be loosening. And we've talked about that uh, for a number of months when they tightened too early uh, at the beginning of this year. We said that would come to, to bite them. It did. So now they'll be reversing course. Hopefully we'll see a lowering of the reserve requirement ratio in coming months uh, and other fiscal stimulatory uh, uh, initiatives to uh, juice things before their 20th uh, Congress uh, next November. Uh, the second reason the 20th Party Congress will be convened November next year and equities tend to perform well on valuation expansion ahead of the event as stability takes priority on the policy agenda. Three, the potential for regulation clarity and intensity to improve, which helps compress left tail valuation risk for internet companies and boost their fair value. And finally, prevailing valuations 12.7 times earnings are at the lower end of the five-year range and China's valuation discounts to global equities are at almost all-time highs. The re-rating upside could be amplified by the close to record low allocation by global mutual funds, which on average are 470 basis points underweight. So again, opinion will follow trend. As they start to get bid, managers will have to catch up or be left behind their benchmark. Um, as far as the shorter term view, uh, the AAII sentiment started to roll over. Retail exuberance is coming in. It dropped from 38% down to 33%. Bearishness jumped to 35%. Um, the fear and greed index was down to 62 from 79. Be interesting to see where that finished today. Um, fear and greed. Um, let's see where that closed today. Did they do it? 35. So now it's in fear. Um, at 35, you know, that's where you start nibbling. You know, as you get into 2025, that's when you back up the truck. But uh, we'll see if we get there or not. Um, and then National Association of Active Investment Managers, uh, they're still chasing uh, 100, 
103% equity exposure uh, still. So that's the story on that. Um, this is the note, by the way, you can find it. Uh, I hyperlinked it in the article so you can read the full thing. I did cover most of the key points here, uh, but if you want to get a little more granular and see their reasoning behind the multiple expansion thesis and the regulatory crackdown wind down uh, and uh, the statistics behind uh, returns following these major corrections and ahead of the uh, national congresses, you can go through this 35-page report at your own leisure uh, and enjoy it there. So that's that. As far as the economic data of the week, uh, existing home sales came in better than expected, manufacturing PMI better than expected, services PMI missed. Um, we had a build in, uh, let's see, where's the regular, where's the EIA, not the APA, API. Uh, did we get that report out this week? Uh, yeah, we, okay, we had a build of a million barrels in crude inventories. Uh, personal income was up month on month. Personal spending was up, beat expectations. Um, Michigan consumer sentiment came in better than expected. So again, the consumer remains strong. Um, so we just have to get through this short-term headline risk with this new variant, but uh, what... Uh, Gottlieb said, Scott Gottlieb said today, uh, really uh, put things in perspective. And if he's right, that many mutations actually means it's less contagious and less transmissible, then, um, then the market should rebound pretty aggressively. But I don't think they're going to know that overnight. Uh, they, they're going to need more data. So we'll see how it plays out in the next, uh, next few sessions. And, uh, and that's all the economic data for this week. So um, going back to Ben's question, uh, just want to reemphasize, if you look at earnings growth for next year, calendar year 2022, you can look by sector. The biggest three earnings growth sectors for next year are expected to be industrials at 36%, followed by consumer discretionary at 31.5%, and followed by energy at 30.2%. So there may be an opportunity after this huge sell-off in uh, oil to, if, if you uh, want to put new money to work, um, uh, to, to start to slowly get some exposure there if you don't already have some uh, and, uh, and, and take the long view on that over the next, next handful of years. So with that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning in on a holiday weekend. Uh, hope you're having a great time with your family. Uh, but I did want to get this out there this week and uh, and go through all these developments, particularly the new developments from today, which was uh, uh, quite a big day on, on relatively light volume. So uh, with that said, we'll be back next week. And in the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.